Welcome to the top three podcasts for entrepreneurs, your place to get the very best tips, tricks, and tactics from today's most successful entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Stephanie Burns, founder of Chic CEO. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the top three podcast for entrepreneurs. I'm Stephanie Burns, the founder of Chic CEO, and today I have with me Chance Barnett, founder of crowdfunder.com. Chance is a serial internet entrepreneur turned advisor now helping startups and small businesses raise funding as co-founder and CEO of crowdfunder.com. In a past life, he was a best-selling author in the areas of personal development and entrepreneurship, and he's deeply fascinated with technology systems and human behavior and psychology. Chance, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Great. So, Tell us a little bit more about you. I gave a real short bio, but give us kind of your background, uh, how you got started, where your career mm-hmm. took you, and how you got to creating um, crowdfunder.com. Sure. Well, I'd say I'm certainly the black sheep of my family. I did not come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, and so there's probably a, a lot of fantastic female entrepreneurs listening to us right now. And I'll have to say that I don't think entrepreneurs are necessarily coached initially. They're born. Um, but you can certainly learn the skills of entrepreneurship. Uh, I, I really had to fumble my way around in the dark to, to find my way. Um, I went to college uh, here in California, UC Santa Cruz, University of California at Santa Cruz. And that's where, for me, I really caught the entrepreneurship and internet bug. Uh, at the time, over the hill in Silicon Valley, there was the kind of early Web 1.0 boom. Uh, and I was fortunate enough at the time to run into some uber successful business people um, who really got me interested in business for the first time, really through the context of the power of the internet and mass communication to connect people. Um, and so I, I saw what these really fascinating business people were doing and the scale at which the things that they created were able to get out into the world and change behavior. And that really fascinated me. Um, at the time, I was studying science uh, and biology at UC Santa Cruz. And I, I was so fascinated with the internet and the web and what was happening at the time that I basically just left school to start an internet company. Um, my ambition, ambition was a lot greater than my knowledge and experience and wisdom at the time. And I actually ended up failing uh, after a year going out and trying to start a company. Uh, and that's one of the things I actually like to share with entrepreneurs the most are some of the lessons and some of the stories of things that haven't worked. And I think too many successful entrepreneurs like to gloss over or skip some of those things to not tarnish their record. Uh, so long story short, my first entrepreneurial endeavor was a failure, uh, but I didn't really look at that because I created so many amazing contacts, learned so much about what I had no idea uh, about business and what I didn't know, and really started to understand, hey, there's a map here for developing as a professional, for learning different skill sets, and um, there's people that are are successful creating businesses over and over. So it was after that um, I ended up starting my first successful company with a partner uh, and grew that into about a 150-person organization. Uh, it's still around today, a great cash flow business, uh, and that was also in the internet space. Um, but I've done kind of a wide variety of things, all the way from publishing and uh, being a writer and speaker 
to scaled customer and marketing acquisition over the web to investment, finance, and software architecture. So I'm kind of all over the map and a little bit odd, um, but that it all seems to make sense for me as I jump from new venture to new venture. And I've jumped a little bit in my latest venture now to the investor side of the table. And that's really what I'm focused on at Crowdfunder is connecting uh, entrepreneurs with really great investors, um, but doing it over the web in a, um, a new world that we have here where investing is meeting crowdfunding and people can invest over the web. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> and your surprising secret here that you told me is you actually took a short-term retirement. I'm so jealous. Oh, I did. So I've grown up surfing, and that's one of my passions. And one of the places that that's led me is uh, all throughout Mexico, mainland Mexico. Um, so I actually took a year off, uh, and I, I based myself in Mexico, which was a lot simpler and cheaper. I kind of sold everything that I had had at the time after seeing how expensive and, and high cost my lifestyle was here in the U.S., um, and had the great opportunity um, to just start traveling and, and decided, hey, I'm going to take at least a year off. Uh, not be a workaholic, even though that's what I loved for the six and a half years prior, um, and had an incredible experience meeting t people all around the world, traveling, some of it surfing, some of it just exploring new cultures, um, and then was really felt like a waste of space after and couldn't wait to get back in to the game and start my next venture. So it's all about timing. It's all about <laughs> timing. So we like to ask our guests, a success quote, something that they live by, something they preach in their business, something that really uh, impacts their day-to-day. -day. What is your success quote? Mm. So one of the people I, I uh, admire and try and model the most professionally uh, is uh, really the, the, the father of modern management theory, um, and his name is Peter Drucker. And he has a fantastic saying that just comes up every day for me in business, which is what gets measured gets managed. Um, and so I'll give you an example of why that's relevant or important to me and, and what I think it's done for me over my career. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people, uh, whether you're interviewing someone, whether you're talking about the results that your business has and, and talking about how to grow it, um, use terms that are very subjective in their evaluation of things. Hey, the business is doing great. Um, this person's doing really well. This person's an A player, fantastic. And what I find is that the businesses over and over that develop a, a pattern of success and really extraordinary growth that create massive outcomes for the founders and the entrepreneurs who create them are really the ones who can start to boil things down from the uh, subjective to really measured way of looking at things. Um, and so, you know, there's there's an upside and, and a danger here before I talk about specifics of what those are. Uh, but I can't tell you how much a tool it is in order to give the people that work around you, or if you're a founder or an entrepreneur and CEO of a company, to give them a, a very clear set of language uh, and numbers to really evaluate how they're doing on a day-by-day -day or week-by-week -week basis. Um, and so, of course, at the end of the day, that often looks like a metric and a goal. Um, but... The, I think the real art and science of this is to find the ones across your organization that are meaningful for each individual relative to their role and to their unique abilities and skill set. 
Um, and so, yes, every new organization largely should have these top-level set of performance indicators or KPIs. Um, but if you can really drill those down into something that's meaningful and relevant for each area of the business uh, and you find a way to measure that, you can take things out of subjective for the people and you can help your your team really start to find um, what it is that leads to those outcomes. Because until they have that really great lever to know, hey, I did this today or I did this more of this this week and look how much better I'm doing, oftentimes that behavior isn't recognized for being productive or not productive. So I really like to, and, and I've had to learn to get much better at this as I didn't consider myself a natural manager. Mm -hmm. I'm a, a little bit more of the rugged individualist entrepreneur. Um, finding this as a way for people to create success for themselves has really transformed my experience in business and helping other people be successful uh, around me in business. Wow, that's a great... That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really, I really agree with um, that concept of of what gets measured gets, um, you know, tracked and, and how we have managed and how we uh, actually move forward. So I think that's a great point when you bring it up in in terms of your team as well. I think that gives them some really great uh, milestones and benchmarks to to uh, measure themselves again. So we're, today we're going to talk about our top three tips for equity crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding is pretty new and Chance you've been kind of on the forefront of this and I'd like you to tell everybody a little bit more about crowdfunder.com and the whole industry of, of equity crowdfunding right now if you don't mind before we go into our, our top three tips. Sure. So uh, to try and keep something which is a little bit complex, which is investment and finance and fundraising and make it simple, um, over the last several years, um, some new laws have been passed, uh, of which I was uh, a bit involved in D.C., uh, helping to shape and push forth. Um, that changed the way that investment works today. Um, uh, some people didn't uh, didn't know it, but in the past, it was actually against the law for you to go out and tell people you didn't already know the fact that you were raising investment, um, which sounds very crazy. At this day and age, with the internet, with radio, with television, the fact that if you're looking to raise investment capital for your company, you're not allowed to go out and mention it is a little bit crazy, but there was a law um, that prevented what was called general solicitation. Uh, and that means that you weren't allowed to advertise the fact that you're raising investment for a private company. Um, it's very different if you have a public company, which is say gone on the stock market. So what that is really done in the last um, 80 or so years in our country has put public companies that are already big and large at an advantage to getting more money from the public than small business owners, than entrepreneurs. And so what this law has really done that's really come about over the last couple of years and now giving entrepreneurs a, a great opportunity uh, takes and levels the playing field and allows uh, everyday small business entrepreneurs, startup founders to also have the same advantage of going out and be able to talk publicly about the fact that they're raising money and do it in a more communal type setting uh, to go out to their not only their friends and family, but people they don't already know and, and put their story and their business in front of them and drive investment into their company that helps them grow. So that's exactly what we do uh, at Crowdfunder, is we allow startups and small business owners to have a, a powerful way now to tell their story and to pitch active uh, base of investors online. 
Um, and so we both empower entrepreneurs to tell that story and circle their own community. Uh, and then we have a, a large and growing community of active accredited institutional investors and individual investors at Crowdfunder who are actively looking and investing in startups and small businesses. Um, so it's really in the last year that we've been actively helping companies fundraise over the web, uh, and we've helped fundraise for some really fantastic companies. Um, it's very simple to come online. Uh, you can just create a free company profile and start telling your story. And then we have a very simple model where entrepreneurs can get access to getting in front of our investor base. And so this is a little different in, uh, this is different than crowdfunding where you get your crowd and your community to, um, you know, pre-sale or pre-purchase a product and you can mm -hmm. amass. Um, but I, I think I saw an article that you wrote not too long ago that, um, you know, if, I can't even remember who the company was, I'm sure you could tell me, if they had gone with crowdfunder.com instead of Kickstarter, mm -hmm. all of the people that had donated would get a, a kickback. Mm. Yeah, so um, that story is really um I write a little bit for Forbes about investing in crowdfunding and this legislation that changes investing, also called the Jobs Act. Um, but yeah, that's a great example. Um, the company you were talking about, um, just quickly, they raised just over $2 million on Kickstarter, uh, where on Kickstarter, people are allowed to pre-purchase or donate to companies, but they don't invest and they don't become shareholders in the companies. So it's a really great way to build a community and to jumpstart your business by getting a bunch of customers on board to back you. Um, so there was a company called Oculus Rift uh, that creates this virtual reality headset. And they sold several thousand copies of that to would-be customers over Kickstarter. Um, fast forward into the future a little bit later, Facebook ended up buying this company for about $2 billion. Mm -hmm. What highlights the difference between Kickstarter and what Crowdfunder could have done uh, is that on Kickstarter, none of those people got a share of the profits for, Kick, uh, for Facebook buying that company for $2 billion. Um, so there was a little bit of a backlash, although I'll have to say that people knowingly only purchased the product and didn't become investors. That wasn't part of the offering, nor is that what Kickstarter does. Right. So if those people had been able to invest via Crowdfunder, they might have gotten up to a 200% return on their money. So for $1,000, you might have then gotten a return of $200,000. Wow. So that's exclusively what we do at Crowdfunder is we don't do the rewards or donation-based crowdfunding. That's really great, and there's great companies that do that. When those companies are um, having growth and a great customer base and revenues, uh, we're a great place to then formally raise investment, which can be equity or debt or what's called a convertible note. And that's that's exclusively what we do. Yeah, that's that was an amazing story. I loved, I did read that piece. I forgot it was Oculus, but I, I remember reading that piece and mm -hmm. really seeing the contrast between the two. And, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's really amazing what you're doing with, with crowdfunders. So let's talk about your top three tips for equity crowdfunding. Your first tip is speak to the two brains of investors. So what do you mean by that? So uh, it's a really fascinating conversation. If you could, uh, a lot of uh, women or men listening might be entrepreneurs or raising investment. If I could 
give them one experience in the world, it would be to be able to detach from their own desire to raise money and sit next to another entrepreneur talking to an investor and just be able to watch the conversation they have, especially effective entrepreneurs who are good at fundraising because they do something really magical and it, it's kind of a balancing act. What they are, are able to do is simultaneously convey and tell a powerful story that engages a potential investor on an emotional level and gives them a purpose and a why for the company and what it's going to do and gives them this visceral and emotional reason why they would be interested in being a part of the company and its growth. And that's a unique skill set. Um, but the other, and that's speaking to one brain of the investor, which I call the, the non-rational brain. Um, and this is the brain that responds to metaphor. It responds to story and it responds to meaning and, and association. Um, but there's another side of the investor brain that you also need to speak to, which is also part of this conversation. Uh, and that's the rational brain. And that's the brain that is concerned with profit and is concerned with problems and competition um, and the, the challenges of growing a business. And so the entrepreneurs who are really effective and great at fundraising know that need, they need to speak to both of these brains and satisfy them. But it's my experience that if you lean too much or you get caught or trapped in the, the rational brain, that you can't win the argument uh, as an early stage entrepreneur because it's often very risky. Um, it's a risky proposition to fund an early stage business. And if it wasn't, everyone would be investing in making billions of dollars. Um, so the real way to, to connect with an investor and to start the conversation and the entire dialogue and relationship off on the right foot is to make sure that you really put the context as the, the why, the how, and the real story of who you are, who your team is, and why you're doing what you're doing. And that's the thing that's really going to capture an investor uh, and get them engaged for something other than the percentage return that they're hoping to get in their quote-unquote portfolio of investments. That's really interesting. Um, you know, because I think you're right in terms of when you're trying to find an investor and you have your early stage company, you really focus on your numbers, on the rate of return, trying mm -hmm. to mitigate the risk. But people do forget that there's a story involved that we all have uh, emotions and that investors want to be passionate as well as you know get a good return but they want to they want to feel something for what they're investing in so that's a great point I love that yeah and I have a friend who goes as far as to say I, I don't entirely feel the same way but he says look investors become invested emotionally and then they justify it rationally so if you don't have the story and you don't have the why for them that pulls them in and gets them saying, wow, this is something I want to be a part of and I'm going to risk my money um, and I find it worth it, then they're not going to do the work of trying to justify it by fitting that into how they think it could make a return. Um, but if you do do that effectively, they'll be on your side and trying to figure out and help you and walk you through, hey, how can I get my return and how is this going to be a very successful company? Right. I was actually, uh, I had coffee not too long ago with a, a very well-known investor here in San Diego, um, and he was telling me that he's currently raising, I want to say somewhere around 35 to $40 million for a new venture uh, that's never been done before, and they are only raising money right now to fight the lawsuits that will come down from going into this new market. <laughs> and that that is something that 
rings true with what you're saying here is in order to raise that kind of money, that investor has to be super, super emotionally involved and really passionate about the cause and, and, and creating a new blue ocean for, mm. um, I think it was uh, TV signals or something, uh, but it will go to the Supreme Court and they're preparing for that by raising funds. So that's a, that's a really great point and that's very true in, in his case for sure. So your second tip is investors trust other investors more than you, the CEO. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. <laughs> well, uh, one of my other favorite thought exercises, uh, similar to the one that I suggested for entrepreneurs before in watching other entrepreneurs pitch investors, is um, that it, it would be fantastic if they could be an investor for a month and see how many entrepreneurs pitch them and what they try and say and what they try and get them to believe. Um, you, you actually you might not be surprised when you heard that there's a lot of fantastic hyperbole that comes out of CEO's mouth <laughs> that is not always to be trusted. Um, and look, I have more empathy for that role of being CEO uh, than anyone. I see CEOs all the time. Those are my customers. That's why I'm in business is that I love helping entrepreneurs and I'm one myself. However, investors take a lot of what CEOs and entrepreneurs who are fundraising say with a grain of salt. Mm. And so if you're trying to um, constantly sell yourself and validate and prove what you're saying on your own, uh, I believe you might have, you know, say X level of um, effectiveness. But if you can use the words, the quotes, and the reputation of other people aside from you, um, maybe there are other entrepreneurs, that has one level of effectiveness. If you can get other investors validating you and backing up what you're saying, believing in you and or advising or investing, that has many times more credibility than anything you could ever say to an investor. Uh, and why is that? Well, because they know those other investors have spent the time to vet you. Uh, they've done a lot of the hard work and the dirty work to get to know who you are. And if they're putting their name behind you, then that's much more powerful than anything you could ever say in a single conversation with them. So w what I really try and get entrepreneurs to understand through this um, is not that investors don't trust you. That's not the message that I want to come off. It's really the power of notable people, of other investors, and other credible sources of information validating and lending perspective and credibility to what you're saying can skyrocket the amount of effectiveness uh, and the performance that you have in pitching investors and fundraising. So, um, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I think in fundraising, an investor's words are worth a thousand words. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And I, I definitely agree because, uh, you know, when you are trying to raise money, try, getting that first investor, every startup knows that once they get one investor, it's going to be a lot easier to get more um, mm -hmm. because there is that trust factor with other investors. So that's that's a great point. Yeah, and you've probably done this yourself. Um, so rather than going out and trying to cold get investors, what smart entrepreneurs who understand that they'll probably not just be raising for f raising funding once, and this might not be their only company, they actually look to sit down and build a meaningful personal relationship with investors so that 
the investor can have a sense of who they are outside of wanting funding from them. Um, and so I would imagine you're a smart entrepreneur, you have a great network, you probably invest that time in creating more personal relationships outside of fundraising with investors so that when you do show up, there's a level of rapport and trust that you just can't shortcut when you're trying to raise investment. Right. Because even if you don't get an investment from them, the value of the conversation you have with them is usually pretty high. Mm-hmm. So your, t- your third tip is focus on what's in it for them, meaning the investor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we alluded to it and we said, look, I- investors uh, need to be spoken to in this both rational and non-rational brain. Um, but it, it's never lost on me. People think they're driving the point home by drawing conclusions or painting a picture. But what you need to do to be effective as a CEO and very much, much more so in fundraising and, in, and raising investment is to tell uh, a potential investor what this investment is going to mean and walk them through the next several years of how you think your business is going to evolve and what their experience is going to be like and why it's going to be a positive experience for them. Um, And so I want to give you a day in the life of an investor if you're an entrepreneur thinking about fundraising so you can understand a little bit more about their existence so you can understand what might be in it for them. Um, So an investor is not someone who has no uh, touch point to your difficult position as someone raising funding. And in fact, I would argue that they do more fundraising activity for themselves than you do. Um, except their investors are different people. They are called um, LPs or limited partners. So almost every investor, unless they're a very independent angel investor, has other investors that invest alongside them or have actually invested in their fund and that's the money that they're investing. And so what those investors are doing is actually representing a fund and they have to go out and they have to make successful investments and return money to that portfolio in order to keep their job. Um, And so they're actually on the line, not just making a decision about should I invest in you or not. This is actually a critical decision point in the long term arc of are they going to be successful and are they going to be able to raise their next fund. Uh, And so all that as pressure aside, what your job is to do is to understand what kind of investments are they making? How is the investment they're going to make in you going to be someone something that's going to not only lead them to a long-term return that's going to be good for them, but what experience and what are they going to get out of it in terms of a relationship with you, a relationship in the industry that you're in, and the personal experience they're going to have and be brought along for in the success of your company. And sometimes that's lost on entrepreneurs because they're so focused on getting a check-in that there's an investor on the other side of that check. And they're writing checks for a reason that are, yes, they're about return, but they're also about the experience they're going to have an investor and where it's going to take them. So if, if you're a, a fun, zany entrepreneur and you have access to a lot of great people, not only in your city, but in other states, or you have access to a lot of other things, there's a lot of intangibles that you can bring with your role in the industry, with you as a spokesperson, with you as an individual, that are also assets that you want to make sure and put out there in front of the investor so that they can start to nibble and bite and get interested in some of those things. Um, And I see a lot of really amazing women 
be very effective at doing this because I think a lot of times they're they're more effective and more conscious about connecting people in a social circle mm-hmm. than some men are who are oftentimes more transactional in fundraising. So they're able to tie all of the relationships in a community together in a more significant way that does attract an investor's potential attention. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd love to ask you, have you ever seen women who are very successful? I know a, a few of my own. Um, that are that are great along these lines. Oh yeah, I'm a girlfriend of mine recently just sent me a text um, that she warm warm circled two hundred fifty thousand just by calling her <laughs> network, <laughs> and I was like, oh, "That's amazing! Congrats!" Um, but it, she's taken a long, a lot, a lot, a lot of time to build her network and create those relationships with. Uh, not only the investors she currently has, but potential investors down the line. So it was just a fo- few phone calls, and she had a quarter of a million dollars. So that's a really great point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And and I do think that women do have the edge on that. Um, it's just kind of how we are. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we like to we like to collaborate. So that's a that's a great yeah. point. I love I love that. And thank you for walking us through the the day in the life. I think that's really important for us to understand. So. We like to also ask our guests to give us a book recommendation, uh, a book that you think that our entrepreneurs would love to read and it would make a difference in their business. So what book do you recommend to our community? Mm, I'm going to go out on a limb and recommend two, if you don't mind. Sure. (laughs) Um, So the first one uh, would be a a book called Influence, uh, The Psychology of Persuasion. And it sounds a little manipulative, um, but I'll have to say that if you're someone who's interested in being an effective communicator, if you're interested in having uh, strong outcomes when you talk to your team or when you engage with investors, uh, then understanding the subtle things that are happening in communication and in the relationships that we build personally and in business this book simplifies a lot of that down to really seven main points of influence and it helps you understand how these are at play already in your day-to-day life. Um, and so the author is a fantastic doctor and PhD named Robert Cialdini. Uh, and he lays out these seven factors of influence and, and walks you through really great examples that you can put to, pro, put to work tomorrow in your everyday personal and business life that are, that are really helpful. So that's, that's a really great book, and it's very palatable. Again, it's called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Um, and then another one I would recommend for entrepreneurs, and, and I think maybe even particularly for women, because I think the, the sometimes work-life balance issue is even more of a challenge for some women, uh, is a book called The Power of Full Engagement. Uh, and this is a book by um, Tony Schwartz and Jim Lair. Um, the power of full engagement. And this book isn't about what are all the fantastic business skills that you can pick up that are strategic and tactical. This book is about your personal experience and journey as a CEO. And I believe one of the core underlying elements of your success, your fulfillment, and your really having a tremendous, great experience as a CEO and entrepreneur um, is to be effective at finding a way to manage your energy and if you manage your energy effectively, you're going to be able to manage your mood. You're going to be able to manage your business. You're going to be able to manage your personal life and your time. Um, and so at the core of all this is the energy that you have. And if you're drained, you're going to go into every day feeling overwhelmed. You're going to feel like people don't have your back. And you're not going to have a good time. You're not going to have fun. And people are going to sense that. And things will be more difficult. 
But if you do manage your energy effectively, then you're going to have a tremendous time. You're going to have people wanting to be around you and, and attracted to you. And you're going to have people wanting to do things and help and be engaged and involved around you and your company. So it, it, there's a lot there, but I'll just leave it at that. Pick up a copy of the book and it can really help you. The Power of Full Engagement. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I haven't even heard of it. I'm, I'm <laughs> a crazy voracious reader, so I'll probably get that tonight. That sounds lovely. Um, perfect. Well, we like to end our podcast with asking our guests to throw out a challenge to our entrepreneurs, our communities, something that will impact their business today that you know will make a difference. What is your challenge for our entrepreneurs today? Mm -hmm. So my challenge for entrepreneurs is to pick a single person who is someone you admire because they're wildly successful in an area of life that you're passionate about. It could be directly related to business, but it could be something else that you're passionate about. Um, and if this is someone you really want to get to know, uh, likely it's someone that you've thought was impossible or wouldn't pay time or attention to you. I want you to pick that person that you think is impossible to get in front of and get their attention. And I want you to do something. I want you to spend a week or two thinking about something that might be of significant value to that person. This doesn't have to be a crazy amount of stuff that would be of value, but Challenge yourself to say, what is this person experience and what are they interested in and could I do something without their permission that they would value? And go and do that, whether it's write something, whether it's blog about them, whether it's create something that they're interested in or passionate about and what you share as a passion and just go and do it and then do everything you can to find their email address, their Twitter account and try and post a message and put it in front of them. Don't ask their permission to be in their life and be of value. Just start being of value. Um, And this can have a magical effect. People that are really busy uh, get tons of emails every day from people asking to get involved around things that they're doing or in their life. But not many people show up and say, you're interested in this, so am I, and I've just done this because. Now look, that differentiates you from everyone else, and it's a fantastic way to get uh, busy successful and passionate people's attention and to engage them in your life. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I will challenge myself to do that as well today. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Awesome, Chancel. Thanks so much for for joining me. Um, Always love talking to you. And, you know, Crowdfunder is doing such amazing things. And I love watching what you're doing. And I love reading what you're writing. So keep up the great work. We are keeping our eye on you. And I hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much and keep up the great work and however we can help more fantastic women leaders and entrepreneurs, it would be our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Chance. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Top 3 Podcast. If you're looking to start a business, come on over to chic-ceo.com to get all of the information you need to get moving. If you're looking to grow your existing business, you aren't quite ready for a business coach, but you know you need some higher level business strategy, the Chic Elite program is a perfect fit. So head on over to chic-ceo.com to check out all the resources and for the show notes to today's episode.